Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you who made it to church. That was no small feat, was it? I, uh, I don't know about you, but I get a little anxious when it's daylight savings time, which only adds to the injury of daylight savings time. I couldn't sleep last night. I was anxious about whether or not my phone was going to do its thing and was I going to be an hour late for church. But you weren't an hour late for church. You showed up. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. And welcome, of course, to those of you who are joining us online. I was among you last week with my family, watching online as we were coming home from North Carolina. So wherever you are in this wide world, thank you for choosing to be here with us this morning. We're in the fourth and final week of our How to Pray series, and I have the distinct pleasure of getting to wrap it all up for us this morning. For four weeks now, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, and somewhere in the middle of this series, the thought occurred to me, I don't remember learning the Lord's Prayer. And I know that it sounds a little funny, but what I mean is I don't remember having to learn the Lord's Prayer ever, in the same way that I don't remember having to learn the happy birthday song, right? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. It's something that has just always been there. It's just always existed in the, in the recesses of my memory. Nobody had to teach me that song. Was there ever a time in your life when you didn't know how to sing happy birthday to somebody else? For most of us, it's like second nature. And that's how it is for many of us when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. It's just sort of been that thing that we've always known, that thing that's burned into our memory for many of us, not all of us. Personally, I can't remember a time when I couldn't quote the Lord's Prayer verbatim. And maybe it's like that for some of you in this room or online. Like if I'm at a church service or a wedding or, or a memorial service and we all rise to say the Lord's Prayer sometimes, and please forgive me for the illustration I'm about to use because I am a picture person and sometimes my pictures are a little strange. But sometimes in those moments when we corporately rise to say the Lord's Prayer together, I feel like I become a prayer Pez dispenser. I assume the position. I unhinge my head from my heart and out pop the words, our Father who art in heaven, it's like I'm on autopilot in those moments, and the words just come out. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it's always like that. It's always in the King James for me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thine is the kingdom. Apparently, when I am on autopilot, I speak the king's English. And usually, in the same monotone, rhythmic voice that I used in Sunday school as a kid, Our Father, who art in heaven, there's a rhythm to it, hallowed be thy name. I'm on autopilot. And in just under 30 seconds, when my autopilot shuts off and my head snaps back into place, the prayer is over. And I've just recited the Our Father for the 100,000th time. Now, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer for a couple of weeks now, and Barry opened his message last week by telling us about some bad prayer habits that some people had in Jesus' day 
that Jesus addressed in his Sermon on the Mount. Actually, both Amy and Tim also spoke about some of these bad habits in each of their messages from the previous weeks. Amy talked about the bad habit some had in Jesus' day of babbling on and on when they prayed, thinking that maybe they could somehow impress God or impress those around them with their many words or their lofty language. She reminded us that when we pray, we are praying for an audience of one. She talked about sacred space, space that is just between us and God, prayer being that sacred thing, giving us direct access to our Father at all times. And Tim mentioned the bad habit some had in Jesus' day of praying loudly in public in order to make themselves the center of attention. Jesus called them hypocrites. He said, don't be like them. Don't put on a big show when you're praying. Instead, speak from the heart. Be honest when you pray to God. Tim encouraged us to keep it simple, direct, and honest. And Barry reminded us last week that prayer begins with our posture, the posture of our hearts. When we pray, we bow our hearts low. We submit ourselves to the Holy One before we ask for anything, because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Barry said the Lord's Prayer teaches us to focus first on His desires and not on our own. We come to our Father with the right heart posture when we declare that our deepest desire is for His kingdom to be established here on earth as it is in heaven. And this is important because this is how Jesus Himself taught His followers to pray. By addressing these bad habits that people had in regard to prayer, He showed them, He showed us, how to correct them, how to correct these bad habits. And admittedly, my bad habit of launching into autopilot mode when I say the Lord's Prayer needs to be corrected. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you're using a house Bible, that's page 803. Of course, you can also follow along in the Grace Church app if you've got that available to you. Put, put a couple of fun facts in there. It's one of my favorite parts of writing messages. And as you're turning there, turning to Matthew chapter 6, I'm just going to take a minute and pray for our time together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your presence that is here in our midst where we are gathered in your name. You are there. You are here. You're with us today. I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new each morning. And this morning, Lord, I need to tap into that mercy. It's uh, early morning with the time change, Lord, so I just pray that you would help me to focus and be sharp, Lord. Give us ears to hear and hearts that will receive your word Speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Take us off of autopilot mode, I pray in your name. Father, you are steadfast and true. You were faithful way back then, and you are faithful now, today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at the latter half of the Lord's Prayer. That's the part that's about us. In fact, verses 11 through 13 are known as the us petitions. The first two verses of the Lord's Prayer center our attention on God the Father, on who He is. And the latter three verses in the Lord's Prayer address our needs, our asks, our petitions. 
Well, here, just look in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 11. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us us, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The word us appears five times in these three verses. These three verses that are so powerful and loaded with meaning. When I disengage my head from my heart and assume the Pez dispenser posture of autopilot, I miss out on so much. In order to correct my posture and fix my bad habit, I need to slow things down, way down. I need to allow these words to linger as I meditate on what Jesus was teaching me to pray for. So today, in order to really, really slow things down and help us exercise our brains in a slightly different way, we're going to take a look at these three verses one by one, but in reverse order, okay? We're going to walk through this passage backwards together. We're going to start with verse 13 and work our way back up to verse 11. So beginning with the two us petitions that we see in verse 13, Jesus taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, I'm going to ask you to bear with me for a minute. If you're following along in the House Bible, that's the New Living Translation, or if if your personal Bible is, say, an NIV, a New International Version, or ESV, an English Standard Version, or a handful of others, the version of the Lord's Prayer that you see in your Bibles ends right there. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from evil, and then it moves right into... If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And if you're accustomed to the version of the Lord's Prayer that I grew up with, you may be wondering about the for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever part. It's not in there. If you're using one of those translations, it's not in there. On the other hand, if you're looking at the King James Version, or my personal favorite, the New King James Version, or the NASB, or a handful of others, you see it. It's in your Bibles right there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what is that about? Why do some versions have it and some versions don't? Well, the version that most of us are familiar with, the part that we memorized as kids, yours is the kingdom, that's an additional doxology that isn't part of Matthew's original text the thing I grew up saying my whole life. That's why some Bibles have it and some Bibles don't. Are you with me? I hope I didn't lose anybody. It was common for Jewish prayers to end with this kind of praise or doxology. Look at 1 Chronicles 29:11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yes, Lord, yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. First Chronicles 29:11. It made sense to early translators to attach a traditional kind of conclusion to this prayer. It started with praise and it ended with praise. That was the tradition. And it's not at all bad. 
Because yours is the kingdom. We see it right there in 1 Chronicles. Yours is the power and the glory. Also, right there in 1 Chronicles, it's biblical, it's true. Yes and amen. And I know that this may seem like a bit of a tangent, but I didn't want you to be surprised if you look down at the Bible you're holding and that old familiar closing sentence wasn't in there. It's okay. It's okay. The version that most of us are familiar with was just translated to end the same way it began. It starts and it ends with praise. All right, we good? Can I get an amen? Amen? Hey, it's 915. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, back to verse 13. Jesus prays, and don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus knew that we would face temptations and trials of all kinds, and he knew that those temptations would threaten our well-being and could be hazardous to our faith. So he taught us to pray for God's intervention when we face temptation. By praying the words, lead us not into temptation, we're acknowledging that the struggle is real. We're going to face temptations. That is a fact of life in this broken world that we live in. We'll face all kinds of trials and tests. James says in chapter 1, verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So in essence, Jesus was teaching us to pray, Father, help us not to be drawn away by our own desire for sin, sin that will ultimately lead us away from you, ultimately lead us to death. And right after that, he says, but deliver us from evil. Or to put it another way, rescue us from the evil one. The word used here for deliver or rescue, literally means to draw to oneself. And I love that word. It's one of those words that helps to bring the whole picture into focus for me. Remember, James said that temptations come from our own desires which entice us and, and draw us, drag us away, putting distance between us and God. One of my favorite song lyrics comes from the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Some of you will know it. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, drawn away by my own desires and enticed, prone to wander. Jesus knew that his followers would be prone to wander and in constant need of his intervention, of his rescue. That's why a few chapters later in the parable of the lost sheep right here in Matthew, he says, if, if, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for that lost one? The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep. That's us right there. That's me and that's you. Prone to wander. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God we love. We are all in need of his rescue to be drawn back to our Father, away from the threat of evil. And when we pray, deliver us from evil, it's an appeal to him for protection. Protection is a fundamental human need. Aren't you so glad that Jesus understands our humanness? 
and our need for his protection. Jesus showed us that we can honestly and fearlessly present our needs to the Father. His love is steadfast and true. He was faithful then and he is faithful now, today. He knew that we would be tempted and drawn away by our own desires and enticed, and so he taught us to pray, rescue us, deliver us, draw us back to yourself, draw me to your side. Father, right now, I need you to help me to resist temptation. I need your protection. Faithful Father, draw me close and deliver me from evil. I know that you are faithful, faithful now, today. So that's verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. As we continue to rewind our way through this passage, we read in verse 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now I'm gonna be brutally honest with myself and vulnerable in front of all of you. When I confess that one of my biggest temptations in life is the temptation to harbor unforgiveness in my heart toward others. Forgiving in general has never come easy to me, and there are plenty of reasons for that. My own brokenness, my own sinfulness, dysfunction in my family of origin, some real bad habits that were passed down to me in regard to what forgiveness looks like. For me, the idea of forgiving those who have hurt or offended me is the biggest and most challenging posture adjustment in the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. Just being honest. I can bow before God and posture my heart in humility. I could do that, no problem. I can ask him for forgiveness. I can pray that he'll rescue me from evil and, and help me not to give in to temptation. But this particular temptation, the temptation to hold on to my anger and my hurt, the temptation to clench my fists and hold my breath and be drawn away by my own desire to cling to my pain like a security blanket, this is the struggle of my life. And it's something I'm struggling with even now, as I speak. Scripture tells us to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. I want to be healed. Last week as I was preparing this message, I knew that I was in a stuck place. I don't ever want to be a hypocrite standing up here talking about forgiving those who sin against you when I know that it is one of the hardest things for me to do. So I felt hopelessly stuck, like I was spinning my tires in the mud. I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't make progress. I knew I needed help. And so I confessed to a friend that I was stuck. You know when you're spinning your tires in the mud and that friend comes along to help give your car a push and get you back on the right path? That's what happened. I was spinning my wheels, struggling to get a grip on forgiveness. And then my friend came along and gave me a little push. There's a situation in my life where I've asked myself over and over again, have I truly forgiven them? 
What does forgiveness even look like in this situation? Does it mean welcoming this person back into my life with open arms like nothing ever happened, whether they're sorry or not? Does it mean I have to make myself vulnerable to more hurt and manipulation and abuse? Can I forgive and still uphold my boundaries? I've said in my heart that I forgive this person, so then why do I still feel such pain each time I think about them, like a fist turning in the center of my chest? Why does it still hurt so much? Maybe I haven't forgiven at all. Or maybe I just don't understand what forgiveness really means. Can you hear the wheels spinning? I was stuck, and I think my friend could see that I was stuck. Wheels spinning, mud flinging everywhere. I was a mess, so they gave me a little push. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confessing to my friend that day was taking another step forward toward healing, like pushing my car back on the road. Within 24 hours, they'd left a book in my mailbox called Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkhurst. Y'all, when I tell you that this was one of those books where I was highlighting things in the introduction before we even got to chapter one, in the introduction, it was already speaking to me. Over the next three days, I devoured that book. Forgiveness, if forgiveness is a struggle for you, like it has been for me, I highly recommend it. Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkhurst. I put a link in the app notes for those of you who are interested. In this book, Lisa details how forgiveness is both a decision and a process. It's a decision you make. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. I forgive. And it's a process you go through. She says forgiveness isn't about perfection. It's about progress. And suddenly, at that thought, the thought of progress and not perfection, suddenly my wheels caught traction. And I realized that I'm still in process. That's why things still feel raw. But I am in process, and I am making progress. I'm not as stuck as I thought I was. As long as I'm acknowledging my need to forgive and seeking the wisdom of my Father for help, I am moving forward. I'm not as stuck as I think I am. Forgiveness is both a decision and a process. I said that I forgive them. I made the decision in my heart to forgive, but I still feel hurt. I still feel some kind of way. My hurt is still raw, still in process. The point that I'm making is, is progress. I'm making progress. I haven't hardened my heart toward the notion of forgiveness. I want to let go. I want to be healed. This is just what the process looks like right now. Lisa wrote, forgiveness doesn't mean that trust is immediately restored or that hard relational dynamics are instantly fixed. The point of forgiveness is to keep your heart swept clean. Cooperating with God's command to forgive and keeping yourself in a position to be able to receive God's forgiveness. 
Forgiveness doesn't always fix relationships, but it does help mend the hurting heart. I love that imagery. The idea of keeping my heart swept clean. I want that. I want a clean heart. I want that daily. Because I know all too well that ignoring my hurt and offenses just compounds the agony. It creates layer upon layer of rock-hard unforgiveness. And I want my heart to be soft. I want to be swept clean. And Jesus showed us that we can honestly and fearlessly present our needs to the Father. His love is steadfast and true. He was faithful then, and he's faithful now, today. So Lord, forgive my debts as I forgive those who owe a debt to me. Forgive me of my offenses as I continue in the daily process of forgiving the offenses of others. Keep my heart swept clean. I know that my Father stands ready and able to help me forgive. So Father, today I am holding on to faith. I decide again today to forgive him, to forgive her, to forgive them. Even though I know I may, I may not feel much like forgiving, right now my feelings are lagging behind what I know is right. I recognize that. So I'm not going to go with my feelings on this one. I'm going to lean into you and your truth. I choose right now to obey the command that you set before us when you taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Father, I forgive them as much as I am capable of today, and I trust your love to cover the rest. I know that love covers a multitude of sins, and you, my Heavenly Father, are perfect love. And so I lean into your perfect love today. Help me to forgive them. Forgive me as I forgive others. And you know what? God will hear that honest prayer. And he will help us to forgive. Because he was faithful then and he is faithful now, today. Lamentations 3 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His mercies begin afresh each morning. New mercy with each new day. Mercy enough for that day, for this day. I can forgive on a daily basis because his mercy is there waiting for me, fresh and anew each morning. Which brings us all the way back to verse 11 and the part about our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Or as it's worded in our house Bibles, give us today the food we need. That idea of, of giving us the bread we need for today goes hand in hand with what we just read in Lamentations. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Some of you may recall the story in the Old Testament in Exodus 16, where the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, and the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. 
The picture here, fresh food, fresh mercy each morning, as much as we need for that day. That's the picture here. Give us today the food we need. Jesus showed us that we could honestly and fearlessly present our needs to the Father. His love is steadfast and true. He was faithful then and he is faithful now today. Give us what we need for today. It's so simple. It's so simple. In Jesus' model prayer, we're not asking for too much and we're not asking for too little. We're simply asking our Father to provide what we need. By acknowledging that he is provider, we are again correctly aligning the posture of our hearts. We're saying, I'm not going to rely on my own self-sufficiency. Instead, I'm going to rely on your provision. You are provider. You are the sustainer of life. You are my faithful father who gives me just what I need. And I don't have to worry because you could literally make something out of nothing and rain down food from heaven. So, Father, this day, give us just what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's interesting to note that the word we see here for bread or food is the Greek word artos. It's the same word Jesus uses when he refers to himself as the bread of life. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Bread for the day, Artos, give us that bread every day. Bread representing everything from our most basic food needs necessary to sustain human life to our deepest spiritual needs necessary to give us new life, abundant and eternal life. Jesus says in John 6, 48, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Hallelujah. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so that the world may live, is my flesh. We're about to enter into a time of communion. And so please, if you haven't already or if you missed it on the way in, we have communion tables set up at each of the doors. Take this time, if you haven't already, go and, and take what you need in order to be able to receive communion and share in that fellowship together. And if you're online, do it now or even do it later when you have something with you that can represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And take time to remember. Wherever you are, here in the room or anywhere else, right now we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. His life in exchange for ours, that we might have abundant life. His rescue mission to deliver us, to draw us near to him because all mankind had gone astray. We were wandering 
Like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness like sheep without a shepherd, mankind was wandering. But our loving and faithful Father, the Good Shepherd, gave his life for the sheep so that we could be brought near to him again. This is the sacrifice we remember each and every time we share the Lord's Supper together, each time we take the bread and the cup. Christ gave his life on the cross so that he could draw us to himself. Through the death of Christ Jesus, you all, we all who had been afar off have been brought near to the Father. And you who follow the teachings of Jesus, you are his disciples. You've been given direct access to your faithful Father God, so don't be afraid. Jesus showed us that we can honestly and fearlessly present our needs to the Father. His love is steadfast and true. He was faithful then, and he is faithful now, today. So will you take a moment to do just that right now? Slow down with me. Take yourself off autopilot mode. Slow down and present your needs to the Father right now. What temptations are you facing? What temptations are you facing? Confess them in your heart right now to the Father, knowing that He sees, He hears, He knows. And His mercy for you is new. It's new every morning, this morning. Mercy enough for today. Thank you, Jesus. Are you standing in need of forgiveness this morning? Or like me, are you struggling to forgive someone? Confess that to the Father. Make your needs known to Him. He's listening right now. Maybe you're not as stuck as you think you are. Maybe you're still in process. But process those feelings with your lovingly Father. Don't turn away from Him. Take your feelings and turn to Him. Turn those thoughts over to Him and confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Do you have a need for God's provision this morning, a, a daily bread type need? Remember that His grace is sufficient for you. Scripture says our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is the bread of life who came down from heaven to give life to the world. He says in that same passage of Matthew, if your child asks for bread, you're not going to give him a, a stone or a snake, ask your father for the bread you need and trust that he is a good father and he will provide. Don't let this moment of sharing communion together turn into another one of those autopilot moments. Slow down with me. Look deep into the symbolism and the significance of this sacred ritual. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11 and as I do, we'll receive the bread and the cup together as a family. And when we're finished, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
Scripture says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, then broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We receive the bread together now as we remember Christ's sacrifice, his life in exchange for ours. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We take the cup together. We receive the cup together, the cup of our hope and our salvation. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Lord's prayer. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us that we can fearlessly present our needs to you. Your love is steadfast and true. You were faithful then and you are faithful now today. And so with that in mind, we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.